Welcome, friends, to the April 5th episode of my podcast, Medicine in Action. A lot of my listeners have asked me to clarify some uh, concepts and uh, understanding on the vaccine, so I'll try to address some of them today. Uh, we are now over a year and a month into the pandemic officially in the United States, even uh, with WHO over a year now made some progress, some setbacks, so it is a good time to take a quick overview of what, where we are, we're at. So in the United States, uh, we're making good progress, but still a fourth wave of the pandemic resurgence is definitely being seen in parts of the country. The good news in the United States is we're averaging almost 3 million vaccine doses a day, which is fantastic. And uh, at the same time, uh, within the United States, we have now vaccinated a total of uh, 62 million people who are fully vaccinated, and a total of 165 million doses have been given, uh, which means that uh, another probably 30 to 40 million uh, are in the process of being vaccinated. So by conservative estimates, around end of April, we hope to have about 100 million people vaccinated or thereabouts. So that, that'll, that'll be a good step forward. So about 20% of the United States population is fully vaccinated, but the rest of the countries, the world over, it's not so good. Only 1.8% of the worldwide population is vaccinated. So outside of the United States, uh, 665 million doses given uh, and fully vaccinated people are about 144 million, so a small percentage. So we're still a long ways off. But this is what we do know. Places that have been vaccinated in high numbers have seen massive declines in the number of cases, number of deaths. So in my neck of the woods in Florida, I'm in a small community of Spring Hill, Florida. Uh, we have seen our new case loads down almost 80 to 90 percent. Our hospitalization rates down about the same percentage. Death rates are down massively, 90 percent plus. Uh, we're averaging now in our county of 160,000 people about 30 cases a day and uh, zero to one deaths a day. Uh, varies on a day-to-day -day basis, but that's a massive improvement compared to where we were even six months ago, four months ago. So we know the proof of principle. If there's large population percentage of the population vaccinated, the transmissions do decline significantly. We still have uh, significant holdouts in our patient population, people who have either bad information or are just concerned, anxious. So one thing I would like to state is it is okay to be anxious. It is obviously a new disease and a new vaccine with lots of information, misinformation on both sides. So I would encourage people uh, to keep an open mind on things and to look at the data. So let's look at the hard facts. As of today, nearly 165 to 170 million doses have been given in the United States. And out of those doses given... There's only a handful of cases of any severe adverse reactions that we've noted. Uh, it's certainly less than 100. 
the most common reactions everybody knows is sore arms, body aches, fevers, chills, fatigue, lasting a few days and uh, spontaneous recovery from it. Compare that with COVID, especially the long haulers who may be unfortunately suffering for 6, 9, 12 months or longer. We're not quite sure. So as far as the safety goes from what we know and the practical data, we've been vaccinating mass vaccinations since around uh, December 16th or so. So almost three and a half, four months. People on studies have been vaccinated for close to seven, eight months. And we also got data and word that the vaccine continues to be effective even past the six-month mark. So that was a big question of the longevity of the vaccine. We still do not know if this will last a year or two years. And we uh, believe we may require boosters, but at least for now, the vaccine seems incredibly effective. We have also seen data come out in 12 to 15-year-olds with the Pfizer vaccine, 100% effective, which is incredible. So when the history of medicine is written, and this vaccine will be right at the top of one of the most successful things we've ever done uh, in terms of producing uh, not only a very uh, effective vaccine, but producing a record time. So our, our big push is now to get the most people vaccinated that we can so we can have a control on the pandemic. But we do know the places that are able to do that successfully are actually very, very uh, effective at controlling it. The other common uh, questions I've heard are about uh, safety as far as pregnant women and young children. So we don't have any data younger than 12 years old, but uh, 12 to 15, as I said, the vaccine has proven effective and safe and now ongoing studies for younger children, and we believe there is no reason why these vaccines will not be equally effective in them. Uh, so I'm, I'm less worried about that. About pregnant women, again, there is limited data that has shown that actually COVID carries a far greater risk for both the mother and the baby than the vaccines do. Of course, uh, they have not been officially approved in the pregnant women yet, but the data does suggest that it actually will be the safer alternative uh, for pregnant women as well. Now, in terms of some questions about the AstraZeneca vaccine, so there's been uh, several places where the AstraZeneca vaccine have uh, been uh, either pulled from the market or temporarily held because of this issue with blood clots. So, Detailed studies have shown that there is a slightly increased risk of clots uh, with the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine. Um, the benefits of the shots do outweigh the risk. Uh, some people have died from blood clots after receiving the vaccine. And the cases uh, reported in the United Kingdom are about 30 or so. Uh, it's still not clear if the vaccine is causing the blood clots or is a coincidence. So what I suggest is if people have a history of clotting problems or they're young women or on birth control or other risk factors that put them at higher risk, then I would avoid this vaccine and go with an alternative vaccine. Most places have choices available. If on the other hand, there are no other risk factors 
of that nature, then you may proceed with the AstraZeneca vaccine. I think the risk associated with hospitalization and death from COVID-19 is far greater than the risk of the side effect seen. The final word is not yet out as to whether uh, this is a real problem or it's a coincidental problem. My own take is that in people who are prone to clots, it likely exacerbates the problem just a little bit, and that can be enough. But uh, for uh, average people with average risk, I don't think have to be too concerned. Uh, so I, uh, I, I would say that uh, stay tuned. But in the United States, it's not a particular issue because we don't have AstraZeneca vaccine approved yet. I know several of my listeners in India have asked me this question because that's one of the two vaccines available. If you have the other alternative, the Indian-made vaccine available, and you're concerned about clots, I would proceed with that. If you have no choice and have otherwise low-risk factors, otherwise healthy, then I would not hesitate in using the AstraZeneca vaccine. The other issues have come about is whether this vaccine uh, people have been concerned. Some stories have circulated on Facebook and social media that the virus actually changes your DNA. That is patently false. There's no data to suggest it. In one of the previous podcasts, I alluded, alluded to a study that actually looked at the longevity of the messenger RNA, which is injected in the body, and the messenger RNA only lasts in the body for several days. And that was studied uh, quite extensively. And then the body breaks it down and it's thrown out of the system, just enough to create the protein, create the response of the body, and then the memory cells that'll stay there in response to a future infection response that body would need. So I I don't think there is any valid uh, truth to that. Uh, Some of the people have also asked me about uh, if we have any update on the risk of ITP with the... uh, all these vaccines. Now, as you recall from one of my previous episode, ITP is a condition which stands for immune thrombocytopenic purpura. It is a very rare condition. It is seen uh, in by hematology blood specialists like myself. Currently, we believe that the COVID-19 vaccines may, in some rare cases, trigger uh, this problem. But as of uh, late March, at which point uh, millions of doses had been administered, the total number of cases in the FDA database was less than 100. So... We believe that it is very uncommon occurrence that may be happening in perhaps less than one in a million. Now, ITP by itself can occur in one out of 35,000 people in the United States each year. And in the ITP, the body's immune system will attack and destroy its own platelets and your immune system will make antibodies to your own platelets. So it happens on a natural basis based on person's immunity, environmental exposure, and the like. Uh, 
So the fact that it happened to a high-profile physician in Miami who ended up unfortunately dying from it was in all probability a very unfortunate coincidence. But the uh, risk of ITP appears to be much lower than the risk of developing COVID-19 and dying from it. So currently that the, the update is still that this is a very rare event and this should not be enough to hold people. As a matter of fact, uh, I've had patients with ITP who have chosen to take the vaccine and have done okay with it. But it is, uh, it is a situation where you have to discuss with your physician because people who have ITP already, they are at risk for probably uh, having a flare of the disease. So all in all, I would say that uh, the sooner we can have more people vaccinated, the better we will be in terms of ending this pandemic. All three vaccines that are available currently, Pfizer, BioNTech, Moderna, Johnson Johnson, are all equally effective at reducing the chance of dying from COVID. The numbers may vary, but I would not get lost in those. Uh, although the Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna have effectiveness of around 95% at preventing COVID, and Johnson Johnson's more like 66 to 70%, but all three are very effective at reducing death rates from COVID, which is the most important factor we look at. The other myth I've heard from people are that COVID-19 vaccine causes infertility. This is just totally a made-up arbitrary statement. There's no evidence at all. Uh, people can just come up and say COVID-19 vaccine turns you into a rabbit and that would have the same level of evidence. So in order to understand why this isn't true, it's a good idea to recap how these vaccines work. Both Pfizer, BioNTech and Moderna use a technology called messenger RNA. The vaccines work by encoding a part of the spike protein that's found in the surface of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And they use pieces of that messenger RNA to create the part of the spike protein in your body, creates an immune response to it, and you develop antibodies in your body, eliminates the protein and the messenger RNA, but the antibodies it makes stick around. That's the key. And once those cells are programmed, they will hang around. Johnson & Johnson, on the other hand, is a more traditional vaccine. It uses an adenovirus or a cold virus that is modified with the SARS-CoV-2 protein so the adenovirus cannot reproduce in our body and doesn't make us sick. But when we get the vaccine, the modified virus is pulled inside our cells and it travels to the cell nucleus. And the adenovirus inputs its DNA into the nucleus and our cell reads the spike protein gene and is copied into messenger RNA. So instead of putting messenger RNA, it actually puts DNA, which eventually makes mRNA and then the same process. But there is a lot of Facebook posts that are circulating this myth that the vaccine creates a spike protein called SYNCTIN1, S-Y-N-C-T-I-N-1, uh, which is associated with function of the placenta. That's not correct. The SARS-CoV-2 spike protein has no similarity to the SYNCTIN1, and there's no evidence that even blocking SYNCTIN1 causes infertility. Even the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists has issued a statement debunking this. 
the mechanism of action and safety profile of the vaccine in non-pregnant individuals, COVID-19 mRNA vaccines do not increase the risk of infertility. So there's been a very clear statement. So that was another myth. The other myth people asking is if they've had the infection, should they still need the vaccine? And the answer is yes. As we've said before, people should delay vaccinating for up to 90 days after having recovered. But everybody should be vaccinated because we do not know how long you're protected after getting the virus. But after the vaccine, we have more reliable, durable protection, at least for six months. It's another myth I've heard is that the vaccine will give you the virus or make the test positive for the virus. No, nope, that's biologically impossible for any of the vaccines to cause somebody to have the COVID-19 and it should not cause a positive COVID-19 viral test. The last issue that I will talk about is that the vaccines were rushed so you can't trust the safety. The vaccines were produced in record time, it's true. But a lot of the technology was ready, was used for Ebola. It just never needed or materialized, but then it was ready off the shelf and it was ready to go. And it is a fortunate uh, coincidence that they've been able to get it out in record time. And then, of course, uh, another thing my listeners have asked is, can the COVID-19 vaccine alter your DNA? The vaccines absolutely cannot alter DNA. In something to alter DNA, it needs to go into the nuclear membrane of our cells. None of them have the ability to do that. They don't even go near your DNA on a cellular level. It's not biologically feasible. So hopefully these will help dispel some of the myths. I would say, please get vaccinated as soon as you can. And any of the three vaccines you have access to are great. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great night. Be well, be safe.